No one's out to get Tesla. Tesla's grown up. They're a successful company now. They need to start acting like one. The voice of reason, Kirsten Korosek. If they ever bring back a communications department, there's no amount of money good, big enough to hire a voice like you. Oh my God. You know what? That would be the craziest and impossible <laughs> career move of my life. So it's never going to happen. I would love to see that. Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosak, transportation editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent in this show, and general contrarian who needs to watch what he say because, you know, I'm, I'm a responsible person. I'm the voice of reason, right, guys? No. <laughs> when did I was going to say, when did that happen? It's becoming a, a little more, um, let's just say I'm becoming more reasonable and um, careful every day. So it's your new adopted ethos. You know, I, uh, I if I look back, I'm actually surprised at how reasoned I've been in the past. And if I made, if I made mistakes, I always submit to them. Oh my gosh. You know something? I, I got to tell you, I had a Turo rental Tesla uh, last week. It, uh, it, it, it's like one of those handful of cars that doesn't even have autopilot, <laughs> just has like basic level one ADAS, no active cruise control and no lane keeping. And it's true. My friend JF Mutual says that my driving skills are getting worse. It's absolutely true. I had to drive that thing uh, hundreds of miles and I got without, without autopilot. Like what's the point of a Tesla? It's just another electric car. Anyway, I, I I called the owner. I'm like, your car is defective. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, it's totally defective. The thing doesn't work. I thought autopilot was standard in all cars, but all Tesla. But apparently, there were cars sold before it became standard that we had to pay up for it. What's called enhanced autopilot, which became just autopilot. Um, and if you didn't pay for that and they haven't upgraded since, you don't even get you don't get active cruise control. It's dumb cruise control. Well, and guess what? Soon, nobody might get an autopilot. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, right. that, that is, those are fighting words there, Ed. Well, I mean, uh, I feel like the Tesla fans are uh, scared enough of that possibility all of a sudden for some reason <laughs> that they created a change.org petition, a, a laughably hilarious, I might add, change.org petition, uh, uh, trying to head off any potential uh, uh move against autopilot at the regulatory level by a brand new appointment to NHTSA, who is uh, a Tonicast uh, guest, former Tonicast guest, uh, Missy Cummings, who it was just announced is going to be the special advisor for safety at NHTSA. What, what do we think about that? Well, for listeners, first of all, they should, we will also put out that former, that previous episode so people can listen to it. But Ed or Alex, maybe you can give us like, why would NHTSA, you know, tap someone like Missy Cummins? Like, what's her, what's her background? Why do, why is this an important appointment? Give me, give me her resume. Well, she was a fighter pilot in the yeah, Navy she, or the Air Force? In the Navy, she flew F-18s. She was one of the first women to be combat approved uh, as a fighter, as an F-18 pilot. Um, and she's a professor at Duke and she teaches about you know, ADAS and human factors. So those are good things, right? <laughs> She's and she's been very outspoken about Tesla, which, of course, 
you know, the 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 Tesla fans are framing as, well, this is just a sign, obviously, that that she's just biased against this company for no reason other than whatever. She has some speculative financial or other kind of interest in 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 screwing over Tesla because a persecution complex is, is a fundamental part of being Tesla and a Tesla fan. Uh, but in reality, like she, what she's done is be a, a consistent and um, substantive critic of the decisions that, that Tesla has made in, in the design and the deployment of, of, of autopilot and full self-driving. And what we're not hearing in response is any kind of effort to, to, address those criticisms, right? And I think that the panic, the the sort of need to attack her personally uh, is a result of the fact that people don't really have a lot to, to say to her substantive uh, critiques. Well let's, well, let's just go ahead, Kirsten. Well, I was going to say there's typically, um, and this has happened to, I think all of us, um, you know, even, even when I've written pretty benign, you know, articles about Tesla, I get DMs or, or, you know, even, you know, mentions trying to tie some sort of speculative, like financial tie or reason behind it. And of course, I always say, I don't, we're not allowed to hold any equities in in any company we cover or industry, actually. So I don't hold equities in any um, automotive or transportation related company at all. Um, I have mutual funds. Uh, but that is a go-to argument, I think, anytime Tesla's attacked because so many people are financially tied to the, you know, the success of the company is direct correlation to their financial standing that they assume everyone else's as well. Um, but Missy Cummings has a long history of pointing out areas in safety that are problematic and one that has been a very visible one in the automotive industry from the very beginning has been Tesla from them naming autopilot, you know, how they named it, how they've rolled out um, this quote unquote, full self-driving software. And now more recently, the beta version of, of this more automated features being rolled out. So this, this shouldn't be surprise or anything new. I mean, she has a long record of pointing out where there are problems in safety. Well, and, and the NTSB investigations into multiple crashes, including those with fatalities, have just been sitting there. Tesla could have responded to those substantively. This, you know, people could have engaged with 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 those criticisms, which I think are likely to form the basis of any kind of regulatory action on on autopilot. Uh, and yet they haven't. Um, by the way, a uh, little bit of of context that that actually some of which just broke. So so. Um, Yesterday, as we record this now, yesterday, the, this news was announced and um, Elon Musk took to Twitter uh, to say, objectively, her track record is extremely biased against Tesla, which um, I'm not sure how he thinks he can speak objectively about a company that he's the largest stockholder in. But that's a kind of a, a little Zen koan maybe to, to meditate upon. Uh, but Missy Cummings had replied to that in, in typical uh, unflapped, uh, unflappable kind of fashion by saying, hey, happy to, to sit down with you anytime you want. And uh, just now a story broke um, where her Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Missy Cummings' new boss, said, uh, tells uh, Reuters, uh, he, Elon Musk, is uh, welcome to call me if he's concerned. We're responsible for making sure that every vehicle on the road is safe. So um, I think the the effort to intimidate uh, Nitsa into, into dropping her because she has been outspoken about Tesla, I think has already failed. Uh, didn't even, the campaign didn't even make it 24 hours, which is uh, about what I expected. 
what I find most entertaining here, amusing, is that the cloak of safety that, that my, my fellow Tesla owners, a reminder, I've got two of them, I love them, my fellow Tesla owners would claim to put the cloak of safety onto autopilot and FSD beta as if no one else is attempting to develop better driver assistance and self-driving technologies or s- s- technologies that are safer than none. And so, you know, what I see I mean, in reality is uh, what they're afraid of the, the quote unquote banning of autopilot. Well, no one is suggesting banning driver assistance in the form of active cruise control and maybe some lane keeping technologies. What any reasonable person would say, looking at the history of these Tesla crashes uh, and say, we should deploy um, ADAS that is safe and it, it should not allow for for foreseeable uh, abuse. <laughs> and that is, you know, I, I have two of these cars. It is really easy to take advantage of, of you know, let's just say suboptimal aspects of the system. Taking your hands off the steering wheel, zoning out. These are things that were a lot easier at one time. They're still possible today. And, you know, Tesla is, uh, enables these behaviors uh, more than any other car I've driven. Uh, and so it's not unreasonable to suggest that that system should be improved. And we all know that I'm a fan of, of driver monitoring systems done right. Done right. Yeah. And even Tesla agrees that that's necessary because they added a camera and the Plaid has twin IR lamps over the, uh, over the rearview mirror. And so clearly Tesla anticipates activating such a system, which means that this is all just theater. This is just theater. Right. Well, I, back in the day, I covered, actually a long time ago, I covered clean tech, but also oil and gas in, industry. And there was a lot of theater around um, policies around climate change. But when I would speak to these executives one-on-one, they all said the same thing. Listen, we actually are fine with regulations. We just want certainty. And so really, Tesla should embrace this possibly because by having guidelines, there hasn't really been any guidelines. I mean, they've been fairly loose as the government has caught up with the tech industry and the automotive industry. And so what this will provide is hopefully certainty for every automaker, including Tesla. So it knows exactly what it's bounced and it can go right up to that, that line. And then they know if they cross that line, you know, now, logically speaking, we could all say they cross that line, but there's never been any real, at least from my view, real clear, uh, you know, delineation as to what is okay and what is not. And just common sense tells us what is okay and what is not okay. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, the thing that kind of is important to remember is that, you know, and, and this is why also like the, the idea that Missy Cummings is some tool of this industry that all kind of got together and said, Oh, let's, let's sick her on, on Tesla or whatever. It's, it's silly because really what, what's kind of happening here is that everybody, not just Tesla, I think everybody to some extent in, in the industry, at least where it is right now. And again, these are just my, you know, analysis of the situation, but I feel like the general tendency is that regulating automated driving in general is hard. It's full, you know, it's not something that necessarily NHTSA is super well prepared to do. Uh, it's very easy to create uh, unintended incentives and consequences 
uh, with with regulation in this space, and and everyone has kind of wanted to to kind of preserve this this lack of regulation that we've seen, and the industry has done that by having really strong norms around things like only testing experimental software on public roads. Uh, you know, in a structured way, making sure that they're, they're, the drivers behind the wheel are super, super, super well-trained, uh, well-managed, you know, all of these things, but they've, they've all been voluntary. And, and like, I think part of what's happening here is for the industry, like that was kind of working for them, except for the fact that Tesla was going out and blurring the line between ADAS and AV, having people test experimental software who don't have training and are not having their time managed. And so they're creating these risks, not only of more crashes, but then that, that because of the line being blurred, that those crashes are reported as AV crashes, which then hurts the public trust in this technology that that everyone depends on. And so I think like the industry here, it, it, the idea that this is this is coming from the industry, I think is pretty misguided because I think the industry is is you know understands that that and again I'm making some really broad statements here with a lot of like nuance and 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 variations in across. This, this big industry, which includes automakers, suppliers, you know, AV companies, whatever, a whole bunch of stuff. But I think, I think, you know, people wanted something to happen. The fact that, that, you know, the things have happened the way they have with the crash data uh, uh, reporting standard coming in with now Missy Cummings, who's this really tough person and is going to be tough on not just Tesla, but on everyone that she deals with realistically, anyone who knows her knows this, that like, you know, this is also a tough thing for the industry because now they have to like leave behind this period where regulators really weren't active in this space and and start to enter a period where there is clearly going to be more uh, regulatory intervention. And so I think there's a little bit of a, a monkey paw, you know, kind of situation here where it's like you get your wish granted, but then like what else comes along with that is is maybe not exactly what you wished for. You know, it would be nice if um, good actors in the sector would just come out and say, uh, we, you know, we use industry standards, best practices around safety drivers or test specialists or mission specialists or whatever, you know, different, co- different companies call them different things. And I can tell you that there are a handful of companies that do this already have been doing it for years. And that would draw a pretty clear line in the sand relative to Tesla, who, you know, is sending out these full self-driving test vehicles with basically untrained people. Uh, and, and reasonable people could also agree that if you have a system which you know makes it really easy to take your hands off and zone out, that you should implement a really good driver monitoring system. And these are you know these are available. You know if you want to innovate, innovate there. Uh, this is all theater, and it's theater um, meant to distract from like real issues, which is self-driving vehicles are going to happen. Um, but they're going to happen uh, later if bad actors continue to pretend that there aren't, you know, best practices that already exist that they can follow. That's it. Well, That's it's it. also yeah. a distraction to the fact that, and I, oh, I hammer this down a lot, which is that Tesla has been charging for a product that is not complete. And um, in this weird <laughs> logic, they've can't finish developing the product until they have gather more data from people using that product, which they've paid for, but now they have to pay, pass a test in order to get access to in which they're not trained to use. And, and, and you used it, Kirsten, the safety score beta, have you used it? 
No, I haven't done the safety score, no. Why didn't you let me leave you my second Tesla so you could just use it for research? There's no better way. You can to do send it back out here if you want. I mean, I had it for a year and a half and I thought that that was enough, maybe time with it. But if you mm. want to send it back, Alex, you know. I may, I may drive it back out west in the next month or so and I think I should leave it with you. Yeah, go please on. do. I'll, I'll hold on to your, I'll hold oh, on to really? your Tesla, Alex. You, you will. <laughs> Go on, Kirsten. Please, please send it my way because I'm mm. happy to, you know, it was great because I was testing it all the time and actively driving it, which was always great because, you know, uh, while I do not get the brunt of attacks anymore because um, I don't only write about Tesla, I do love the comment like, have you ever even been in the car? Um, and, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once or, uh, twice. once or twice across the country. And, and, and yes, there's once, you know, it's always nice to be able to say, yes, there's one sitting in my um, driveway right now. So that, that's always, that's always good. Mm. Well, but, the, but it's also part of this absurd thing where it's like, you can only be quote unquote neutral or objective or unbiased about Tesla. If you own the car, <laughs> apparently if you own the stock, because everyone who cares about bias, somehow anti-Tesla bias all happens to be Tesla shareholders was somehow doesn't affect them in any way, mm. but like these speculative influence, like the whole thing is so frankly, it's, it's childish. Um, and, and I think if you look at like, you know, what's been happening and I mean, even just uh, uh, the other week, which it seems like a lifetime ago already. I mean, Tesla tried to push a stealth recall of an issue like via over there update of an issue that was under active NHTSA investigation without issuing a recall notice. And it's like, I'm sorry, if you understand how auto safety regulation in this country works, like that's the biggest like FU that you can send to the regulator. Ah. Like they're in the middle of an investigation. You push an update and don't use the that clearly safety related uh, uh, defect and you and and you don't report it as a as a as a recall like like it's unthinkable for literally everyone else in the space. And it's like, you can't do stuff like that and but not expect but, but they, but, but, do, but they did do stuff like that. And I think that what's going to happen here is that you're going to see, this is not, not going to become a discussion or debate about safety. It's going to become completely political and mm. it already has. And so you have this very interesting thing that's developed is that for four years during the Trump administration, there weren't, it was a very, very hands-off approach, in part because that's um, kind of a Republican, libertarian type of approach to things. Um, but remember how how much the software has been, and Tesla has been developing the software over a period of four or five years, and um, also putting it out there. They really um, accelerated that, uh, not just development, but um, putting it out there in the world for the public to use. And so now you have a new administration, but also you have a more advanced version of the technology and more people being given access to it, even though it's not fully developed than ever before. And so to think that, like, I think what's happening is a lot of Tesla shareholders are getting like whiplash, like what's, what happened? And it's like, it's all been coming leading up to this. Like this was always going to happen. And, and here we are. It shouldn't be political, but it will become one. Oh, I'm so emotionally exhausted from all this. Well, it's get ready emotionally... for it to continue, Alex. Get uh, ready for it to continue. Uh, They're making it a political thing, too, because they won't even acknowledge, again, like what the NTSB investigations have found. And then also, like in 2016, the, the NHTSA enforcement guidance that started talking about foreseeable misuse, like there's, you know, 
there's so much evidence to support that find. Like, like to me, it's amazing that that 2016 guidance existed again, like fall of 2016, almost as long as full self-driving has been around, uh, which by the way, the, the anniversary was just the other day, the five year nice. anniversary. Uh, but, but, you know, so, so like five years for that enforcement guidance saying foreseeable misuse can, can mean that that system is defective, which means it could be recalled. And then you have numerous NTSB investigations showing the, the specific mechanics, like what about the design contributes to foreseeable misuse. And here's how Tesla could have closed those loopholes. And Tesla didn't do that really, uh, or didn't make any like sweeping effort to, to really seriously address that. And so you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's, if you, if you just leave, if you just leave those substantive criticisms just hanging out there without any kind of response and then just attack people personally when they when they bring them up or when they say, hey, we might do something about this, like, I'm sorry, you have only yourself to blame. Like, engage with the issues and and stop just trying to like smear anybody who criticizes you as as only doing it for for uh, bad can we, reasons. Can we just pause for one second? I have a question for both of you. Explain this to me, because I, I don't know. So in the era of um, hardware issues. If a car was, if NHTSA opened an investigation and uh, a car maker uh, wanted to start fixing it and they did a stealth recall, they would just, they would start fixing the vehicles while they were in for regular service, not tell NHTSA. Now, in a stealth recall around a software update, like what is the like mechanism that you think Tesla should have used? Should they have done their software update around, I guess it was, was it uh, camera, camera safe, safety, safety okay. vehicle. So light what, detection, is, what do you suggest yeah. they should have done that? They should have notified NHTSA. Hey, we put out the software update. Therefore your investigation can be closed. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you fix a safety-related defect. If you fix a safety-related mm -hmm. defect mm -hmm. in your vehicles, you have to do it by reporting a, a, a recall. And by the way, like, like just for context, like I had a, and and actually, I was looking for it, and I I didn't really see it. I don't think it was actually a recall, but like at the dealership when I when I took my Toyota Tacoma in, they called it a recall. Um, and it was it had to do with you know like 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 water getting into the rear brake light mm -hmm. indicator and stuff. And it's like this little stuff. And like what we've seen, the, where where the real the biggest like penalties in auto safety are, it's not because the defect is so bad. Although like with the Takata airbags, there are cases like that. But for the most part, what what NHTSA focuses on the most in these situations is how this company is handling it. Because no NHTSA can't make companies good or bad at 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 you know, not creating defects and whatever. But what they can do is, is make sure that they have a culture of really complying with what the law wants people to do. And, and it's when companies don't do that, like the GM ignition switch, where, where GM was trying to fix this problem with technical service bulletins, with anything but a recall. And Kirsten, you're totally right what you said earlier. Like the problem here is that Tesla has gotten away with being able to not follow the law and do stealth recalls at will because they don't have dealerships in the middle, right? Like, like for, for a normal car company, you have to issue a recall or a TSB in order to get your dealers to actually do the service because then they need the code where they can charge you and you as like OEM pay for it because it was a defect, right? Like, like you have that, that person in the middle and Tesla can do stealth over the air and, and, and even in-person updates. And I've documented it. Like I've reported it. You can read my book and, and the evidence is there, uh, you know, and, and they've been able to do it because they are vertically integrated on the service and, and, you know, the service side. 
And so they've gotten used to just doing what they want and really like they're framing it and the fans are framing it as this huge imposition. Really, no one's saying they should have done anything different except for saying, you know, because we're fixing a, a, a safety critical defect, like we're reporting it as a as a recall. Well, you know, you, there's you, only you one reason not to, to do that. You bring up an interesting point in that if Tesla was and and by the way, I'll just say directly to shareholders, if shareholders really cared about the future of Tesla and their financial standing, they need to acknowledge first a couple of things. One, they should try to be protective of the direct sales model because that has been like, you're never going to hear me being pro dealership. But when they don't support these measures, it becomes a really great argument for dealerships to say, see what happens when you go to a direct sales model see what happens when you don't, you know, there aren't protections for the consumer. So one, if they want to be protective of the way that their direct sales model works, and if they want to they'll also acknowledge the fact that Tesla is no longer a startup. It is in growth mode, certainly, but it is certainly not a startup. It is an established company now that is selling tens of thousands of vehicles. That's good news. You are now being treated as Hundreds a, of thousands. essentially you're being treated as a legacy automaker now. Welcome to the club. So if you want to protect that standing and not be dismissed as some like piddly little startup, now you need to be adhering to the best practice of the industry and not blatantly giving a double like F you to the regulatory agencies because then they will make it a lot harder for you. Like this is not... Anything that's surprising, no one's out to get Tesla. Tesla's grown up. They're a successful company now. They need to start acting like one. The voice of reason, Kirsten Korosek. If they ever bring back a communications department, there's no amount of money good, big enough to hire a voice like you. Oh, my God. You know what? That would be the craziest and impossible career move <laughs> of my life. So it's never going to happen. I would happen. love to see that. But I would just say, like, you know, anytime there was an interesting article actually out at CNBC today talking about how um, like when looking at the ESG net um, metric that Tesla and also Elon Musk doesn't quite hit all those marks. So in terms of like, yes, you're selling an EV, but there are some other things that are problematic in the way that you run your company. And we've seen with other Companies, specifically in oil and gas and the energy um, industry, which I covered more, you know, more than twelve years ago, um, where that became actually a really important, um, you know, issue for shareholders because they looked at what the biggest threats would be to them financially by holding the stock, and it was regulations because they weren't taking action on things like sustainability or, you know, um, climate change, um, emissions now and, and still sell oil and gas. So the same thing can be applied to the EV, um, industry, which sounds crazy, but it's true. Like you can sell EVs, but if you're, you know, not recycling, if you have, um, terrible workplace culture and you are subject of lawsuits, if you um, dump things inappropriately, those are all threats to your business model and then therefore a threat to the financial model and therefore a threat to the shareholders. So they should care about all these things instead of just fighting back against them. And and by the way, I mean, you know, Tesla's, you know, five years plus of 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 kind of basically being able to to just ignore a lot of auto safety regulation more or less with impunity. 
is not it's not isolated to that area, right? I mean, we, you know, we've seen the Clean Air Act violations at the at the paint shop at the factory. We've seen the labor law violations. Like this is a company, and again, I you know I, I tweeted about this the other day, but like I think we're reaching a point where we have to separate you know, Tesla as a company and, and as products. And, and, and there's a lot of, a lot of things to like about Tesla. And I, as a infamous Tesla critic have zero problems, you know, admitting that and talking about it. Uh, but I think very clearly, like the leadership of this company is, is, is not well balanced. It's, it's essentially an autocracy of one man. And, and this one man has become very, very comfortable just treating laws like they don't exist in a whole bunch of, of areas. And I think that really what this is sort of leading to is a question for Tesla shareholders that at some point they're going to have to stop just blaming everyone who criticizes them and ask themselves some, some tough questions about, you know, has Tesla outgrown Elon Musk? Clearly his leadership style was really important when they were in like constant survival mode for 10 years, for the first 10 years of, of getting from zero to one. But as you say, Kirsten, they've, they've arrived now. They're pretty well established. I feel like at a certain point, this company can't keep operating that way. Are you suggesting that, that Elon Musk, like anyone could run the company but him? Like really? Well, so that's the, that's what makes the question so hard. You put your finger on it, right? It is, can it survive? Like, like, and, and I think, you know, if there's going to be a chance, like that break needs to happen sooner than later. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that like he should be removed by regulators or like some outside force or whatever. I'm saying shareholders need to think seriously about what's actually in their interest here. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not saying I have a, a clear answer because on the one hand, it's like you get rid of your, your number one marketer, your, your, your head of comms and PR, uh, you know, a guy who has done so much in so many ways to, 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 to get this company to where it is now, number one shareholder, right? On the, and then on the other hand, you have this just runaway culture of impunity that he's at the center of and, and it won't go away until he, until he is out. So it's like, it's a tough trade-off. I'm not saying there's an easy answer here. Well, I mean, Microsoft, the Microsoft example is one in which, you know, Bill Gates and Microsoft were tied together so tightly and then Microsoft became big enough and, and suffered its own issues, right? As a result of that growth. Um, and, you know, he has separated himself from that company now. Um, I, I will say this. I think it's time to perhaps turn our attention to other things um, as much as I, I want to keep talking I, about this. My, my, my clock's running out, my friends. What do you want to talk about? Well, Alex, you were at the self-racing car event um, this past week. And, and I was hoping you could give us a report since I was at the first one with you so many years uh, you, ago. Uh, well, for those who don't know, Josh Schachter, uh, famous Angel investor, depending on whom you ask, is the 19th or 27th best angel investor in America. Uh, former Tonic Cascast. Former Tonic Cascast. He, uh, he was the founder of Delicious uh, many years ago. He worked at Yahoo and uh, Alphabet. Uh, he, out of his own pocket, rents out a racetrack, uh, Thunder Hill, Northern California, about three hours north of San Francisco, every year, offers free track time, two days, to anyone who wants to come and rate, take a car out or an autonomous vehicle out. And um, all you got to do is pay for a hotel. Uh, and every year, interesting people come. And a handful of journalists, not many, that's where I met Kirsten, uh, come. And you always know those are the folks who care, care enough to, to see what's actually going on. Uh, this year, I, I don't know how many teams there were, 12, 13 teams. Uh, I just went for the first day and uh, saw some of the usual suspects. Point One Navigation was there, a company called Faction, whose CEO, Ayn, was uh, the head of engineering at Starsky Robotics. 
they're working with the 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 um uh what's it called FMV platform right the yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah. yeah. i wrote about um wrote about that company a while ago uh john mullen and warren from right hook john came with an autonomous sled uh darren Licardo, who was a big guy at autopilot back in the day before he went to dgi and joe noxall um also ex-tesla now at, at polaris R- wonderful people um and we all met George Hotz there back in the day when before he became. Was George famous. there this year? No, he was not. Uh, so I enjoy it because it, you know you can go and actually talk to engineers with startups, and you can see what they're working on, and you can you know just get hands on time. Uh, so I love it. I love going, and I and I uh, I wish I'd stay for the second day. Pete Bigelow was there from Automotive News, and I missed Point One Navigation um, doing a reverse autonomous lap around Thunder Hill. Oh wow! So you know. I, uh, Mullen asked me an interesting question because his, he drove cross country with his little autonomous sled. And he says to me in the, uh, clubhouse at the end of day one, you know, are you allowed to be pessimistic about self-driving vehicles? And I, I thought he was talking to himself because his thing wouldn't work after driving cross country. But I, and I realized he was talking to me and that was like a day or two after Elon Musk had said, well, you know, investors will reward us for achieving self-driving. And, and I realized actually um, that I am, you know, yeah, I'm allowed to be pessimistic about self-driving, but actually I'm more optimistic because the fact that startups are still out there st- developing new sensors, new, new LIDARs, new cameras, new diffusion, new look, you know, mapping that they exist at all. And people are still starting companies and still getting acquired uh, makes me very optimistic because it's, you know, the self-driving industry is really in where electricity was in 1900, you know, and elevators were like 1895, a long way to go, but businesses are being built. So I'm very optimistic about it. I would add to that. um, I was in Wisconsin um, to pick up the, uh, the new, the newest family member, which is the the Porsche 928S in 1984. And um, so we were there for that and ran into one of my husband's, I guess, second cousin. Um, And this kid is about to start uh, college. Um, He's a senior in high school and he's actually listening to the podcast and he's super into Tesla, but super also into EVs. Convinced his mom to buy um, one of the Ford Mustang Mach-E's. And, um, I, we ran into him and, and he had all these questions, you know, he wanted to know, you know, everything about Tesla and everything about, you know, autonomous vehicles. And he said, you know, um, not just Tesla, but I think he mentioned a couple other companies like, or what inspired him to become, to, to decide to get into computer science. And so I think that, that there is, um, while there are tons of people who are inspired by Tesla to invest in the stock. There are also a lot of really uh, young people who are, you know, inspired for better, or for worse from Tesla and also other companies that are working on both ADAS and also full self-driving, fully autonomous driving um, to pursue it as a career. And so it's not like this moment in time stops and the founders that we, that I write about today, there's no one coming up behind them. There are going to be hopefully many more. and. Um, and so I expect that events like the self-racing car events will continue to not only see startups, but younger and younger people working on it. And, and I hope to see sort of more of that hobbyist um, flair. 
Yeah. And there, there's a lot um, going out there. That's actually, um, so I'm, I'm actually uh, uh, tomorrow after we record this, by the time this, this comes out, I'll probably be there, but um, I'm going to Indianapolis for the, the Indy autonomous challenge, which is also a, a, an autonomous race car thing. It's university teams. And you also have um, f- uh, a formula student, which SAE puts on, which is getting, uh, it was in sort of EV stuff and, and has gotten more into sort of uh, driving automation technology, autonomous racing stuff. So there's, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of that stuff happening. And, and on top of that, there's also smaller startups getting funded now, just in the last year or so, um, that are looking at some of the less sort of uh, you know hypey use cases, uh, things like in in you know mining and resource extraction, and logging, agriculture, uh, even you know buses and transit and stuff. And so, yeah, I think um, you know uh, obviously there's so much excitement, and and you know the big companies, the Waymos, the Argos, the Auroras, uh, the Zooks, they're all you know, going to be out on the road more and more in the next year or two. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's this whole other game that's, that's coming up. And I think realistically, I said this on an interview earlier today that I did. Um, but I think by the time that like the average American, you know, outside of very specific cities like Miami and and places like that, that are beginning to be on the cutting edge of the, of the curve, by the time the average American interacts with an AV personally, like in a, you know, in a way where they're using the service, um, I feel like AVs are going to have already transformed the world like quite a bit by that point in ways that they may not have even seen in things like trucking and logistics and delivery and and certainly already in warehouses and and agriculture and a bunch of other things. So, um, and I think I think a big part of of you know those of us who are sort of like trying to help the public understand this stuff a little bit more is is kind of broadening that view, not just making it about how you're going to get around the world, but just like how this technology can make so much about our world operate more efficiently and resiliently and, and things like that. And with that, we should call it an episode. All right. I have one, I have one question um, to the audience and then I'll, I'll look, you know, we'll put it out maybe in the, in the tweet. So the 1984 on 928S, should it remain? Stock. <laughs> should it remain? one equipped with an internal combustion engine or should it become subject of my EV conversion experiment? Ooh. Yeah. Tough one. I I have a different one that I want to do, which would be um, a a different sports car, which I think might be a better platform um, for an EV conversion. So, you know, but I, I like to hear from, from folks. Well, I think before you convert it, we need to get Alex's M5. You still have your M5, right, Alex? I do. Yeah, Alex's M5, my Z3 M Coupe, and, and your your Porsche 928 all together in the same place. Uh, That'd be great. First, I mean, I've got to get mine maybe, to run. Maybe at, maybe at Radwood or something. I mean... I'm sure we all have some variation of I, I that. I don't know. Challenge. I mean, I would love for Porsche to come out with an electric 928 successor. Uh, and I think the 928... Isn't that what the Taycan is, kind of? It's four doors. Yeah. But, oh. But it's like a bigger, more like a It is kind of like a, it does have a grand tour feel, but nothing has that. I mean, that, that, the front end of a 928 is <laughs> particularly uh, iconic, I think. Well, um, with that, I think we're probably just about out of time. Um, and so we will see you here next see week. See you next week, my friends. Of the <laughs> Bye.